History Lecture 5, Rabbi Blyweiss. We are, um, the Mabel came and went. From Noyach to Avram is an extra 500 years. And if you're keeping tabs, as you should be taking notes here, um, keeping tabs on the generations, that means that we've gone, um, we've gone about 2,000 years from the beginning of time. A little bit more than 2,000 years from the beginning of time. And listen to Chazal here. This is the Gemara of Odazara breaks down all of history into three parts. We know the history in this world as we know it is about 6,000 years. The first segment of history, the first 2,000 years from Adam, it's interesting, it's, it's really 20 generations because they live such long lives, so then 2,000 years, how time flies, right? 2,000 years later, you get to Avram Avinu. That's characterized by the, by the Gemara as tohu vavohu. What does that mean? Chaos. Right, remember when the world was created formerly, it was, it was chaos. So the way Chazal referred to these, this period, even though they're on a very spiritual lofty level and a certain, to a certain degree, but still, there's no tyrant in the world. There's nobody who's going around and darshaning to, like a Kaddish Baruch Hu, like Avram Avinu is going to do. And so there's a sense of chaos in the world. The second period, the next 2,000 years, takes us from Avram Avinu down to... Gonna take it your time timelines. So the second period of time goes from Avram down to. Who would you say is it, How would you bracket that? Rebbe, Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi. What does he signify? What was it? What was the major thing we think about Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi? The Mishnah. The Mishnah. He he brings the Mishnah, meaning he writes down the oral. He brings the first solid, solidified tradition of the oral Torah. That the Gemara calls that period is called Taira. Is that's the period where you know the Avos leading to Moshe, Har Sinai, down to Rebbe, the solidification of the Mishnah. That whole period is called Torah, and the last two thousand years since Rebbe uh, completed the Mishnah, um, all the way down, all the way up to Mashiach, Gan Eden, and the rest. Another two thousand years are referred to by the Gemara as Yemos Hamashiach. Meaning the period that we're in, even though it doesn't always feel like it, are the, is the, it's called the Messianic Age, where, or the, where the precursor, we're leading up to, uh, with great anticipation, the final, um, the final stage. And it's kind of an exciting time to be alive, even though it can be a very frustrating time to be alive, especially from a historical perspective. So much going on, but we'll, we'll get all there soon enough. Notice now, after the flood, in the post-Diluvian world, the lifespans, and you pay attention when we get to Parshish Nayak, you're going to notice this, the lifespans are now coming increasingly shorter than the first ones, because remember the quality of the world has changed, so life expectancy has become drastically reduced. I know, I threw that out, didn't I? Remember I said last week, antediluvian means before, is an English word for before the flood and post-diluvian is after the flood. I just like to impress friends at cocktail parties with impossibly long words. Um, the next significant phase in history is what we call Dor HaFloga, the generation of the dispersion. Generally, we think about the Dor HaFloga, the generation of dispersion, we think about Nimrod, uh, we think about the, the, the unification, very positively, of all of humanity, because humanity is all over the place. We think about everybody coming together, dedicated towards a common project, which actually, think about it, Chazal kind of like that. They say, well, you know, it was totally messed up and totally incorrect, their project. What were they trying to do? Build a tower to Kaddish Baruch Hu, right? Take on a Kaddish Baruch Hu himself. 
Right? That's a bit of a problem if you consider the ramifications there. But the fact that all of humanity got together, Kaddish Baruch Hu said that part was geschmack. We should do that more often. At least the Jewish people should try such, such endeavors. Um, the symbol, this period, what, what we understand from this period, it's all about human prowess. Talk to the back. At least share with me. Uh, the, uh, it's all about human prowess and ingenuity. They were celebrating themselves. They're celebrating technological advancement without much spirituality. You take a shem out of the picture. What technology did they have? Um, building. They were capable now of building immensely tall skyscrapers. It, there's, there's, there's some indicate there is such a line of thinking. It's not 100% clear that that was case, but they had certain technology that facilitated it. What did you want to call it? A launch pad, maybe. What we would think of as a launch pad, maybe. But I think I mentioned this before. They were so... This is sometimes called the early uh, uh, precedent for communism. Think about the communist regimes of the modern era in which the communist, the totalitarian societies got so focused on the end goal, on the state, that they lost track of the individual. And they cried over the bricks. And they cried when the brick would fall, since that was undermining their whole project. They were devastated and they cried. A human fell. Eh, we can, we can get another one of those. That was less important to them. So that there was an amorality that characterized this project. Uh, they, they got skewed. Chazal again say, better this, even this to the Dora Mabul. See, the Dora Mabul wasn't on a certain level, they weren't trying to defy Hashem. It was many, in many ways the opposite. It was, it was a lack of Benin al Machavero. It was between lack of, uh, of ethics between people. That was remember Hamas, and they would steal from one another and rationalize the theft. And Chazal said that's worse. Um, if you want to put it in, in, uh, in certain terms, Hashem would prefer that we play in the, play gr- in, in the sandbox nicely with one another than, 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 than uh, focus on our devotion to Him. Obviously, ideally, we'll do both. But it's, it's, it's critical that we learn to get along. And that's why the Dora Floga has this advantage of at least being unified. Um, the antidote to their unity, if their unity is used for a toxic purpose, what's the antidote famously? Separation. Dispersion. And how, how are they dispersed? Really interestingly, Three, seven, 70 languages are born. 69. Oh, right, 69 are born because this, the original language is counted among this. I'll comment just very brief. Uh, uh, the 70 languages I'm going to get to. I'm talking about the Lashon Akodesh, which is the original language. And we'll talk about that first very briefly. Nimrod was a hunter. Among the things that he was able to get uh, with this, this next bit is also a medrash. And it's fascinating because we see certain elements wind their way down in history and are going to be with us until today. So we already saw, what was the first one we saw like this? Last week we saw there's one element that we already saw from the beginning of time that's going to trace itself through all of history. Remember what it's called? The Erevrav, the subversive oh, yeah. force that often are people or nations, sometimes it's bad midos. Um, here it comes in the form of a singular garment that a Kaddish Baruch Hu initially gave to Adam to cover himself after the fall in Gan Eden. And who takes it from Adam? Nimrod. Somebody hunts and kills Nimrod in the future named Esav HaRasha makes off with the same garment. It's in his closet but he keeps it home. Why does he keep his clothes at home? Because he's afraid all of his idolatrous wives will do something to his stuff so he keeps it by mommy Rivka. And Rivka knows about this garment. What does she do with it? She gives it to 
Yaakov to dress him up like Esau when he, she sends Yaakov in front of Esau. So Yaakov now has this special garment. Yaakov in turn turns around and what does he do with this garment? He's into Yosef. And then Andrew Lloyd Webber writes a uh, best-selling theater play, right? Right, and it's the it wasn't really a Technicolor dream coat, but it's a, a Tonus Passim same coat, same coat that winds its way. Pay attention, we're going to see this coat a couple times in history. Shlomo Hamelech will wind up with this coat as well, as will in the end of days Mashiach Tikkenu. Are there other things that you know like this that also wind their way through history? Interestingly, as a way of showing the Kaddish Baruch Hu is, is, as it were, conveying to us that there are links, there are themes, there are, there are twisting threads that wrap their way, that we're not just leave it, living in this kind of pointless world, that everything has its point and purpose and everything will ultimately come around full circle. What else do you have? Excellente, the mate. We'll see the mate. Very good. That's one of the, what's one of the points. It's considered, um, it's the subject and arguably the origins of the Excalibur story, King Arthur's Court, actually goes back to Moshe Rabbeinu extracting that staff from the ground. Pay attention to the beginning of, of Sefer Shmos for the story. It's the same staff, staff that's used for all the miracles, the makos, the splitting of the Yamsuf, the Red Sea. And it's the same staff that Mashiach will be holding. And Shlomo has that too. And it's the same staff that, that Mashiach will be holding. There's something else that we have through history. It wasn't in Yisro's backyard. It was in Yisro's, yeah. Right, he has, right, that's where Moshe extracts it from the ground. Very good. Um, there's something else too. It's an animal. Ah, yeah, the, 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 the one round. The donkey. Shulachem Bor Im Hachamor, when you have the Heha Yidia, when you have the donkey, anytime it says Ba, the nose referring to like, oh, well, I guess it must be a famous thing out there because it's Ba donkey, right? So the donkey is the same donkey as Yakeda's Yid, Yakeda, right? When, 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 when Abram goes, and it's the same donkey Mashiach will come riding in on when he, when he comes in at the end of days. What's that? Um, that's not clear that it's the same donkey that uh, Bilam's donkey. What's that? Uh, not so clear. Not so clear. Not, 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 uh, not so obvious. Think about language for a second. Focus on language. Shame, Nochsan, and then his grandson, Aver, um, their family was chosen, excuse me, his great-grandson, Aver, not his grandson, great-grandson, Aver, their family and all their line that goes down uh, to Avram Avinu were chosen to retain the original language that the, the, the generation of the dispersion um, everybody goes into different languages we can't communicate anymore we're therefore incapable on a certain level of unity which is toxic potentially when humanity is not dedicated to Kaddish Baruch Hu. so one family retains the original language it's called Ivris which is connected to the name of one of the progenitors Aver. Shem and Aver speak Ivris. They have the same language. It's one of the nicknames, alternately called Lashon Akoidish. It was the language, therefore, that Adam, of course, spoke, and all of the previous generations spoke. Adam was, had a Messiah. He had a whole tradition that was based in the language. The language was so deep with mystical secrets. It remains that. That's why it remains a fascination for Kabbalists and is the basis, anybody who's, who's had any basic introduction to Kabbalah, he can't get there without going through the Aleph base and the Gematrias and the inherent meaning of the letters and the words. It's all built on the foundation of the universe. We consider it the original language and the Hebrew script, what's called Ksav Ashuri, which is the block letters that we know, like in our Torah, that's the original script. What do we say to academics? In the academic world, um, there are claims that Egyptian... 
Uh, Cyrillic, other scripts predates Ivris. So here's a really interesting argument. Take it or leave it. You're, you're free agents. I'm not telling you what to believe. Hebrew is the only language in which the names of every single letter is meaningful. So that we know every, every letter. Aleph means is a kind of an ox. Lamed refers to a, a, a goad used to prod cattle along. Mem is a variation of Mayim, water. Nun is a fish. Tzadi is a trap. Resh is a head. And the letters actually look like, are shaped like their meaning, indicating that there's something inevitable and true about the language when the letters themselves reflect the meaning that they convey. No other language can you say that about. And there are other languages that have very similar um, Aleph base to Ivris. You don't have to think farther than the Greek Alpha Beta. Now listen, stay with me. They clearly, they adapted the Hebrew letters and not the other way around. And again, the, the indication of that is that their letters don't mean anything and our letters do mean something. Um, right? And that's true in the other Semitic languages as well. Greek has, just like Hebrew, 22 characters in their languages and many, many other indications that Hebrew is original. If you would actually go to bat with somebody in a linguistics department and try to prove to them, I'm sure that they could out-argue you because anybody, in these kinds of academic arguments, much like we talked about with science, somebody usually, is, the other side is usually starting with a foregone conclusion and they'll find some way to prove that they're right. But it's a stretch and there you should know, I'm gonna give you like a taste of this topic. If anybody's interested, I can give you a lot more. Uh, there's so much out there, but there is a whole society of people who have developed the idea that Ivris is Lashon HaKadosh. From the Hebrew to English connection alone is very, very compelling. There are so many words that we speak that we may not even be aware of that have their basis in Lashon HaKadosh. Take the word I, and you go back to Ayin. Take the word, like for me, I'm a tour guide. Tour is the same word in Hebrew as it is in English. Fruit in Hebrew, do you ever think of these connections? Fruit, payroads. Payroads becomes fruit in English. Evil, one of the variations of evil is ovel in Hebrew. Cry arguably comes from kriya. We tear kriya and we cry. Lick, cake, scale, shekel, eretz, aretz, earth. Adam. Adam, Adam, fine. Wine, yain. Direction. Derech. You ever notice that one? Derech, direction. Idea, yidea, source, shorish, and many, many others. Other English words <coughs> have roots in other languages, and then you take those other languages and you can trace the origins back to Hebrew. There are whole schools of linguists who do exactly this. Like, for example, Abbot from Abba, very good. Skeptic, for example, um, comes from, is, is a Greek word. We have skeptic. It, it has its origins in a Greek word that in turn comes from sakap, um, sakap, which is hashkafa, shakaf, mishkafaim, glasses. Um, your outlook, your skeptic has, it, has its roots there. Taboo has its base. The word taboo in English comes from a Polynesian word, but the Polynesian word has its root in the Hebrew toeva. Toeva, abomination. Abomination becomes taboo in English. And a whole long list of this. Ivris includes all of Avers' descendants, so definitely us, the Jews, but you know there are other nations too. Um, do you know the other nations that descend from Aver? Ammon, Moab, 
right? Their Lot's, their Lot's descendants, Ishmael, obviously, that's Abraham's descendant, Midian, Esav. The Tanakh often use the terms the term Ivris as a slur, as a put-down, as slang, so that, for example, Yosef is called the Na'ar Evid Ivri, right? It's a put-down, he's this youth, this kid, who's a servant, and he's an Ivri, he comes from that people, because we've always been, we've always sort of st- stood aside, Yoda identifies himself as an Ivri. The nations of the world will constantly, even till today, put us down and still call us the Hebrews. Hebrews is not a term we call ourselves. What do we historically call ourselves? Before Jews, Jews is a much later term. We are Israel or Klal Yisrael, or Am Yisrael. Those are, those are the terms we use to speak about ourselves. We call ourselves Israel, and here's chutzpah for you. The Christians will come, we'll get, get, get into the Christians, they're going to come and usurp <laughs> our claim to authenticity, and they're going to start, and they do this. When they, don't you think it's kind of weird that they got their Old Testament that talks all about Yisrael and Am Yisrael and Klal Yisrael and how we're Shem's Am school of chosen people who he loves preciously? So you know what they do with that theologically? Very easy. They now call themselves Yisrael. We're now the Hebrews, and they're the new Yisrael. That's how they have no problem reading scripture, as they, as they have it. They read into it. They also read Yashka into every other line of the, of the, of the Tanakh. That's why, you remember when Yashka um, was brought up for the Akedah? And then when Hashem spoke to Yashka from the burning bush. Right? It's, all, it's all in there. Rabbi Wine, Rabbi Beryl Wine tells a story. He used to be an Orthodox rabbi and a nun, a mother of a, of a group of nuns, wanted to give a tour of an Orthodox synagogue. And at first he was reluctant, but he let them come. And at the end of the tour, they wanted to understand. They knew that Yashka was a religious Jew, and they wanted to know what, what are the religious Jews doing today. So they came and he explained, and they, and they, and they toured around, and he said, hopefully it was a Kiddush Hashem. And at the end, the, they were standing in the, in the shul, and the mother, did I tell you this story? It's a great story. It really illustrates something. The mother says to everyone, would it be okay with you if we said a chapter of Psalms here? And he said, show it to me. She said, well, what, what could be the problem? We have Psalms, you have Psalms. It's from the Old Testament, what they call the Old Testament, we call the Old Testament. Uh, you know, what, what could be the issue? He said, show it to me. So she did, and he looked at it, and he said, yeah, you can say everything except for that line. And again, she protested. She said, what's the problem? So he took out the Hebrew, and he showed her the discrepancy. What was the line he objected to? He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Right. I will not fear evil because Jesus, the Lord, my shepherd, is shall stand with me. It's black on white in all of their Old Testaments. And he said, you can't say that line. And he showed her in the original, there is no mention of Jesus, our Lord, our shepherd. In fact, it's a preposterous intrusion. It, it, something they inserted in there. And the mother, she went like this. She said, oh... It's like this big revelation moment for her, right? Because she said, I, I couldn't understand all these years how you guys could be so stubborn. You have it black and white in your own scripture talking about how Jesus is the, you know, the Lord, the Savior, and you refuse to acknowledge him. She said, now, okay. Big revelation. Yeah, I don't, I don't see you being Jewish. It's kind of hard for a mother superior to suddenly turn around and become Jewish. Shame. Noach's son was a tzaddik. Remember the difference between the brothers. Ham revealed the nakedness. He did something in their castration, sodomy. Shame and Yafis, 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 go backwards and cover their father. But it was Shame's idea. The whole beautiful piece on this that um, Shame, the Medrash tells us, um, yet they both get rewards. Yafis' reward is 
his progeny are, are they get burial. They get the mitzvah burial, burying the dead, because when Yefes is told the right thing to do, they say, yeah, right, that's the right thing to do, and they do it, <coughs> which means they have a certain sense of etiquette, and it's the right thing to do to bury your dead, so they got that. Shane, though, was the one who initiated the idea that we have to cover our father, respecting our father, there's something to do, and somebody who takes that initiative is proactively moral, his descendants inherit the mitzvah of tzitzit, of tzitzit. Right? Because tzitzit is the proactive, go out and be a mensch in every single dimension of your life, meaning you're proactively ethic, ethical. That's, that's his legacy, and that's our legacy today. The Gemara in Nadarim connects Shem with another great figure in the Tanakh named Malkit Tzedek. He's the one who emerges from Ir Shalem, the only oblique reference to Jerusalem in the Torah. Torah never mentions explicitly the word Yerushalayim, but it does talk about Malkit Tzedek coming out of Ir Ear. He's Kohen Lekel Elyon. He's a high priest, whatever that means before our own, in, in this, the pre existing uh, uh, city before Yerushalayim. He also has a famous daughter. He had a big lifespan. Shem is one of those, because Shem was before, from before the flood, so he still has a very long life. You know the name of his daughter? His daughter is named Tamar, and she's, she becomes the progenitor of the Mashiach. Remember the story with Tamar and Yehuda? The reason why Chazal explained that Yehuda says that she gets Shreifa is because she's a Bas Cohen. Does that sound familiar? Makos Beisamad Aleph? Listen to this. Listen to this. Shame knows in his lifetime, he lives this immensely long life, he knows 15 generations. That's, a, that's an accomplishment. Most of us in our lives will be lucky if we know maybe four or five. Right? He knew 15. He knew all the way back the oldest, longest living man, of course, you now know is 969 years. Thank you, Aryeh, Mr. Shelach. He um, was still alive when Shem was born, so he knew Mr. Shelach. And he would bury, Shem was alive to bury 10 of his descendants. 10 of his of subsequent generations he buried. The only of his generations he didn't bury was his own, was his, was his great-grandson, Aver. Shem lived 600 years. He was, for example, 565 years when he buried Avram Avinu. Shem was still alive when Avram died. Okay, that's, that's what we call longevity. Shem was still alive and he was able to teach Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov went to learn by Shem and Aver. Yaakov was 50 years old when Shem finally died. The way the Seder Olam, which is one of the Tanaitic sources, expresses it is that there were seven people who folded the entire world, meaning you can trace one to the other, and one of them was alive at one phase in history. How does that work? The Seder Olam tells it like this. From Adam to Mr. Shelach, you know, they knew each other. Right? And so they, 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 they connected. Shame knew Mr. Shelach. So you connect Mr. Shelach to Shame. Shame goes down to Yaakov Avinu. That's the, that's the youngest of his descendants that Shame knew. Yaakov knew his descendant Amram, Moshe's father. Amram knew his descendant Achia Shiloni, who knew his student Eliyahu Navi, who's still alive. Those seven figures folded history because one of them was alive at all times. And also, it presumes that Eliyahu is not Pinchas. Interesting point, right? Some, some, some assume that Eliyahu is Pinchas. We have different views on the subject. Aver, for his part, was a great prophet. We don't have prophecy among Goyim after, after Harsinai. He lived for 29 years after, after his great-grandfather, Shem, died. 
their yeshiva is the first yeshiva in the world. And the question, very briefly, I want to get to Avram Avinu today. But what does it mean that there's a yeshiva in the world before there's Torah? First of all, Hashem is in the world. People are spiritual beings. This, these generations are still very, very spiritual. Think about it. They're, that, they're not that far removed from Adam Arishan, so they're in touch with their origins. And they come to seek Hashem, and there's a central address for that. Where was the yeshiva of Shem and Aver? Oh, just out that window, oh, just up the hill and then down the street a little bit. There's a golden dome standing in the place today. Same place as the base of Mikdash. So that's the yeshiva. And what's going on there? A, it's a base team. You always need courts. Remember the Sheva Mitzvah's B'nai Noyach, the one positive mitzvah. There has to be um, order, there has to be justice. So it's the place where they tried, they, they, they tried cases. They made gzeros, they made decrees when decrees were relevant. They had Ruach HaKodesh. We learned that in a Gemara called Makos, that there was Ruach HaKodesh in Yeshiva Shem and Aver. It was very small, and its influence was limited. Much of humanity was not interested, but some were. There was a Messiah. It wasn't exactly like our Torah, but the Messiah, there was a tradition that went back to Adam Arishon, who was the smartest man after all. Adam had an immense spirituality, and he transmitted that to his kids. This is all based on the Gemara in Hulin. He knew, for example, there was a special korban that Adam knew called the korban Bechoros, the eldest born of the different animals you would offer as a korban. And we have that going back to Adam. They had a mitzvah of Bikurim. They brought the first fruits. He had the whole Messiah called the story of Breshis, meaning they were telling the story of the Torah as the Torah was taking place, transmitting it to future generations. That's part of the Messiah. Um, all the first generations... Initially, that Masora would be the possession of all of humanity, and eventually, the Masora was just the Jews. Remember the, the, the sweep of history? The sweep of history it goes from the clouds to the prat. You go from the general, general position of all of humanity, and we zone in now on the prat and meet the prat. His name is Avram. Avram lived only 175 years. His father's name, Terah. His mother's name, that's really not well known. It's a, it's an it's an un, it's a less known Gemara in Baba Basra. Tadi Aleph Amud Aleph, and you tell me something that you can learn from it. Now, in a certain level, you can say that the first generations didn't quite work out, and that's why it goes from the cloud to the prat. Originally, Hashem expects of humanity that they'll lead a godly existence. It didn't work out. We had many opportunities: Dora Mabel, Dora Flaga. None of them pan out. And so Kaddish Baruch Hu, as it were, changes the whole mode of the transmission to say, okay, we're going to start down, we're going to go down on the level of the individual, and we're going to see that family grow into a nation, and that nation will be a mamleches koanim v'goy kadosh. They'll be the priests who will in turn become the light into the nations, the or l'goyim. And that's the new strategy of history. What's happened, the Rambam explains as follows. Idolatry has now multiplied in the world. Until what he calls the Amudo Shal Olam, the pillar of the universe is born. That's obviously Avram Avinu. When Avram was weaned, I'm basing this all in Rambam's description, as a youth, he was intellectually curious. He wasn't satisfied with the lessons, the shallow lessons that his teachers gave him in school. He had to understand the meaning of life. Hopefully we're all, we all are infected by that same intellectual curiosity. Do not rest. I mean, I'll, I'll take a tangent right now. People have this strange notion that you come to yeshiva and you're going to get brainwashed. Anybody ever warn you about that before coming yeah. here? Yeah. 
friends. It's nuts. It's the opposite. Yeah. You don't like what I say, I invite you to take me on. I'd be delighted if you take me on. I'm often, for the record, wrong. I really am. I make constant mistakes. That's why I'm in this business. I'm, I'm trying to work on myself. I'm a work in progress, too. I want to get better. And my students sharpen me, and uh, maybe I sharpen them, too, a little bit here and there, but they usually sharpen me more. Um, people think you get brainwashed in yeshiva. It's opposite. You get brainwashed in life. Most people back what they call home, you're actually in home right now. This is Eretz HaKodesh. This is all of our home. Uh, but most people back there in, in, in self-imposed exile, they are brainwashed by their own cultural norms and expectations. They don't even realize that they're going through life like mindless drones, going for all the materialism. Right? You're coming in... To come for this year in Eretz Israel, it's, the, it's quite the opposite. It's often for many people the first time they get to think in life, where they're not being told what to think. They're being challenged. You don't like what somebody says? Good. Work out your own position and counter it. At least be a thoughtful, self-aware Jew. That's really what the Torah teaches. And look at our own ancestor. Look at Avram Avinu being that intellectually independent, questing, seeking kind of a neshama, going out and trying to understand the universe. As Rambam describes it, he would look at the sky and he would contemplate how does it work and it was uncanny the constellations are constantly rotating how does that work if there's nobody his father always taught him that there's no manhi there's no ruler of the universe so if there's nobody who set it all in order how do you have this immense impressive order out there how do you explain that the avodazara all around ur kazdim where he grew up was foolish Men created gods in their own images in order to justify their own pursuits. And he recognized it and saw through it. He was like the proverbial kid who, who saw the emperor with no clothes, if you remember the old fable. Right? How come they're all falling into this? But you know, much like our world that we're in, people fall into the most inane, stupid behavior, and they don't even recognize it. They get used to it, like the emperor's new clothes, and they don't see it. Avram was the individual who saw, who penetrated the hypocrisies, and saw the emis, saw the truth. We're invited to do the same. Um, you notice this, it's interesting, I had this from my tats, there was a time that, I don't want to remember what it was, like Israel did something else, and the United Nations, surprise, condemned Israel. Can you imagine such a thing? Uh, the United Nations, for a change of pace, condemned Israel. And um, there was a politician who was very anti-Israel who got up and started speaking, I think it was in England, and they started speaking, they said, and they said like this, yeah, is it possible that the entire world is wrong and Israel is somehow right? The entire world stands in unity condemning the acts of Israel and that Israel could somehow be right? Now, without getting into politics and what exactly was going on with Israel and the state of Israel is a whole other, uh, whole other can of worms we'll have to open and try to figure out. But, you know, on a certain level, what that politician is saying is 100% right. Yeah, it's entirely possible that the entire world is entirely wrong and Israel stands alone like Avram Avinu saying the right thing. That's really our history and he's our role model for that. Sometimes everybody is wrong. I mean, are you, did it, how did this come up on Shabbos? I think this idea came up on Shabbos where, I don't know what it was, we were talking about some very specific halachic issue and you or Isaac said, most people don't do that, Rabbi. And I commented, yeah, that's fine. There's plenty of room for everybody in Gehenna. Right? And sometimes, sometimes you're, the, you're doing the right thing and you're standing alone doing it. Well, we get that from somebody. His name is Avram Avinu. Um, he was, Avram Avinu stands for Av Hamon Goyim. He's the father of many, of multiple nations. He, his legacy is to change the way man would see himself forever, how he saw Hashem. 
he was how old when he first encountered the he was three years old famously when he first encountered a Kaddish Baruch who according to Reish Lakish others say he was 48 and they're not contradicting each other the Lashon of the, of the, of the Gemara is who Hikir Boro he recognized his creator somehow Abram was brilliant and somehow he came to it on his own independently it was the same year let me know when did Avram recognize the Kodesh Baruch you can do the math and figure this out excellent good Jake it's the same year as the Dor HaFloga the same year that the rest of the world was going against the Kodesh Baruch and dispersing and speaking out 70 different languages Avram did the opposite he worked in the exact opposite momentum of all of humanity and recognized his creator he, now what happened 348 one way of rec- reconciling two views is that at three years old he recognized Hashem but it took full mat- maturity at 48 uh, he recognized the full consciousness that he had witnessed Yad Hashem in the dispersal of the nations and that takes that's a process he didn't get it completely at 48 he had fully integrated it as a, integrated everything as a world view as a mature world view it's the same at that stage in life Sarah Imenu was how old? 38, 10 years younger. There were still three other prominent Sadiqim still living down in the Shinar Valley, down in what's later Bavel. Who are the three Sadiqim still alive? We mentioned them today. And before Shame, Noyach is still alive, Shame is alive, and Aver is alive. They're all there when Avram Avinu has his massive revelation. Wait, was Noah still a um, we talked about that. We were there. You were here for it. He he has nothing of distinction after the flood, other than planting a vineyard and getting drunk. That seems to be his legacy. And no, he was a tzaddik. He has just nothing of distinction. He was a tzaddik as the as, as the post describes it, b'dorosav in his generations. But then Avram came along, and sometimes um, we're going to see this. I'm going to jump ahead, but I'll, I'll mention this too. Later on, Sari Menu dies, and the Zohar tells the following story. Um, Avram buys the Mars Machpelah in Hebron. Rosh Hashem will visit there together. Uh, he buys the Mars Machpelah in Hebron and he goes into Mars Machpelah to bury Sarah and they won't let him in. Who won't let him in? Who's in there? Uh, Adam and Chava. The first two of the four couples buried in the Mars Machpelah. And Avram says, I don't understand what could be the problem. My wife lived seven years and 20 years and 100 years. She was a perfect tzedekis in every single minute of her existence. Right? And the, the seven years was like the 20 years, like the 100 years. You, you should be privileged to be buried next to Sari Menu. Comes out Adam and Chav and they said, that's exactly our point. She makes us look terrible. You want to have us next to her for all of eternity? Thanks a lot. We've committed the, you know, the original sin. And meanwhile, you want Sari to be next to us? So they protest, and this is, the Zohar does this all diukim on the psukim, Avram Davids, that they should have a, an ilui neshama, an elevation of the neshama. So Adam relents, and he said she can come in. Chava still holds out, and so they darshan from an extra word that Chava eventually also relents, and that's how Sarah's brought in. The Musar Haskel, the message of this whole story is, um, there really is something about the way we make each other look. Sometimes people don't get so comfortable when a tzaddik comes to town because he makes them look bad. So... Avram comes to town and these other tzaddikim they're still tzaddikim but uh, next to Avram they don't necessarily look the same Avram Avinu broke his father's idols his views would be so obviously superior he started having an impact back in Ur Kazdim to the point that the local king tried to kill him and he throws him into prison for 10 years it's all brought down in Baba Basra 10 years 
is different enumeration of what the ten tests were. Avram eventually miraculously flees to Haran, then to Canaan. He everywhere he goes, he says, he proclaims Shem Hashem, Hashem's holy name, and it makes an impact. People often were not talking about Hashem and they want to hear it because all of us are spiritual beings. He was revered by peers of his own day and of future generations to the point that even till today, nations around the world name their kids after him. So you get people like Abraham Lincoln and endless countless Ibrahims among the Muslims. Interestingly, they use the name more frequently than Jews themselves. Kind of strange. For some reason, it's not as common as it should be among Jews. Avram himself didn't quite know 15 generations like Shane, but he knew 13. Not bad. He knew Noach and he knew Yaakov and everybody in between. He heard firsthand testimony, ish mi pi ish, man for man, of what transpired in the world beforehand. He was part of this Messiah, this holy tradition dating back to Adam Arishon, and he would transmit it in turn to Am Yisrael. He actually, one of the things he transmitted was a holy book. You may know the book that one of the books that Avram Avinu had? It's a book called the Sefer Yitzira. Are you familiar? It's a Kabbalistic work that we have fragments today, but it was original work that will feature. We'll talk about the evidence of the Yitzira. That was one thing that he, that he inherited. The Ramban tells us that there were actually four over the period of 22 generations who could connect, who could fold the world. Right, so it's a variation on the, on the source that we saw before. From Breshis all the way to Mitzrayim, you connect Adam to Mitzrayim to Shem and Yaakov. But then he also tells, it also tells us that there were several who entered Eretz Yisrael who received the tradition from Yaakov. Who received the tradition from Yaakov who would go into Eretz Yisrael? Test your history a little bit. A couple of women. Yocheved, Moshe's mother, went into Eretz Yisrael. There was somebody even older than Yocheved. Asher's daughter named. Serach Bas Asher. There was Yair ben Menashe. And Machir ben Menashe also knew them. Avram's Mida, what is he uh, renowned for? Chesed. Part of what it was, was Avram Avinu figured we didn't know that much about the creator of the world, but one thing we did know, one salient feature was that Hashem was very kind because he gave us life. He gave in the world, and we're supposed to imitate him, so we should give too. And the notion of Achnasus Orchim, among other acts of chesed, would be born. It was for Avram Avinu a way, it wasn't an end goal, it was a means of spreading Torah, spreading a consciousness of the Kaddish Baruch Hu, so that, you know, people would have conversations and say, well, because, you know, the Hachnas Orchim was like legendary. We were impressed with the Machlis family, as we well should be. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, we talked about it when we told you about them, this extraordinary family who has endless numbers of people over every Shabbos. But, you know, there's a long-standing tradition of Kali Yisrael helping people out, opening their homes and so on. Avram Avinu Sarimeno hosted the Meiri in his introduction to Pirkei Avos says that half the world became from was Makarov by Avram and Sarah. He took care of the men, she took care of the women. It was, it was what is it, Sunday afternoon? Sunday night, what's, um, what's on the, oh, I think they're having filet of soul tonight. Right, it was like something was on the menu and everybody was talking about it. And they'd come over and the, the food was always delicious. Anybody in Kiruv here? If you're in Kiruv, you know the food must be delicious. Conversation and food a must. Right, can't get away with it otherwise. And they say afterwards, oh, wow, Avram, wow, wow, it's really amazing, and that cheesecake, whoop, amazing, amazing, right? And then Avram would get in conversation. He'd say, well, actually, um, you know, we just put the food together, but it's not because of us. And they'd say, what are you talking about? You're the ones who serve the food. He said, yes, but it's the Rebono Shalom, is the master of the universe who put it together. And they would say, well, who's that? 
and one thing would lead to the other, and he brought about a consciousness of Kaddish Baruch Hu in the world that we take for granted today, but once upon a time was not an automatic, was not a given. Chazal say, Gedola legima shemekareves rechaikim. Great is tasting something because it can bring people who are far away close to Hashem. So make nice food for Shabbos and you're doing mitzvahs like Avram and Sarah. Avram is famous, begins a special covenant with Hashem, a unique relationship with Hashem. It's called the Bris Avos. Call it Bris Avos, that certainly is signified by the Bris Mila. We call it Bris Avos. It's signified by what's called the Bris Benavis Sarim that you should study in depth as you should study everything in the Torah very carefully because every single detail is significant and is a harbinger of future things to come in the Jewish people. Maisa avos, simon labonim, whatever happens among our avos will happen repeatedly to his descendants throughout all of history, including till today. We have a similar covenant made with Yitzchak and later Yaakov. It is the thread that winds its way through all of history. We still have this covenant that Hashem promised that Avram will have multiple, how multiple will be the generations? Go count the, like the stars in the sky, like the, like the grains of sand on the ocean front. In trying to understand, we're obviously, this is not a total uh, history of Avram Avinu, we can spend the whole year on that alone, but a couple of the key points to know, Avram, to us, signifies continuity. He's the continuity, the continuation of Klal Yisrael. And it's against the odds. Everything about Avram Avinu's life is against the odds, including, you know, the whole message is you're bringing consciousness of the Ribbono Shalom to the world, Avram. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to do that without having any children. And that's what, by the brief span of Asarim, Avram looks up to Kaddish Baruch Hu, it's Parshas Lech Lecha, and he said... I have nobody to inherit my house. You've sent me for this great mission, but when I die, it dies with me. What have I accomplished? And Akash Baruch of course, has it all worked out. Go look at the end of the Gemara in Shabbos, Kufnun Vav, and he says, Avram will not have a baby, but I've looked, you've looked at the wrong stars. You used to be a star teller, fortune teller, Avram. You thought you knew the stars. Say me atzigninus shalcha. Go out of your astrology. You can work with me now. Avram won't have kids, but when you change the name, Shinui Shem, Shinui Mazel, you change the name, you change your Mazel, Avram will certainly have a child. And from that child, you will beget masses, and that's Yitzchak Avinu. That's the story of Avram. He represents continuity, transmission of knowledge of Hashem in the world, against the odds, and the whole thing is always impossible. You know, it looked like there's going to be no heir apparent, who you know Sarah's going to be able to nurture babies she's an old lady it's over for her that's what everybody was assuming this is a major theme that we're going to be we're going to be uh, developing through history we win by surviving against the odds and the continued existence it, you, you will not believe that we were here by the end of the year we should have been done for many many centuries ago Despite the intermarriage statistics that we have today, the, you know, there's a book called The Ever-Dying Jewish People, because we're always about to run, we're on the verge of extinction, and there are a lot of hysterical people going around, you know, on, on Jewish Federation saying, they're dying, they're dying in droves, it's worse than what they did, and the Nazis did in the gas chambers. Eh, I don't know about the hysterics out there. You know, we got a vibrant core, and a Kaddish Baruch Hu promised us, certainly since uh, Har Sinai, since he promised Moshe Rabbeinu after the Chaita uh, Egil, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna carry this one out till the end of days. I don't know if we're going to top out or bottom out. That's another discussion. Avram's influence, we said, was vast. 
The Medrash tells us that several paros in Egypt were monotheists. The problem was, until the Torah is given, we have no trick to get it out to the world, to transmit it to the pagan masses. You know, in contrast, the church fathers figured out a really good trick when they, when they invented Christianity. You know what they did? They made Christianity pagan as a way of reaching the pagan ma- masses. Christmas was a pagan holiday. So you make Yashka into a pagan king, and then all the, all the pagan masses say, oh, I can, that's familiar to me, I can go with that. And they became Christian. Right? That's not what we do. We don't compromise in intellectual honesty in order to transmit something. We assume the kernel of truth is there, and, and everything else will follow, and that's why we're still alive. Tomorrow, Mizrash Hashem, we're going to talk about the Esher Nisyonos and uh, Yitzchak and Yaakov.